Well, good morning. As, uh, as Dave said, we're in the second week of this series, standing, standing at the crossroads. And as we, uh, we sat and we prayed and we thought about this series, we just realized, man, um, there are a lot of people, man, and I'm running into a lot of people that just seem to be really losing control in life. Um, the, the lives just, just are being ripped, ripped apart, especially with this, this topic today of alcohol and drugs or other substances that it just seems like um, there's a lot of people living in secret. And maybe you know some. A lot of folks that, that are just living in darkness and just, just living alone when it comes to this, this topic. And, and even on the outside, it appears that life is great, right? We don't struggle. Life is excellent. We're managing fine. You know, we're functioning fine. But, but on the inside, our heart is just being ripped apart. We're falling apart. We've lost control. We're, we're in a full-blown full addiction, just living two lives and, and secretly just, just really losing the battle. Some of us in here were touched by that these, these last week, you know, of just this, this addiction just taking over people's lives and losing people and uh, destruction. And that's what, that's what we're going to be talking about today. But, but seriously, maybe going through your mind with this topic is, are you kidding me? Did, did I come to church today to get like a drug talk, you know, alcohol talk? Um, didn't we cover this in, in, in elementary or, you know, middle school? And yeah, totally. I, I, I'm with you. Um, in fact, I, I have to be honest with you. I've, I've, never, I've never spoken on this before. I was a youth pastor, and I've never really actually had, had any time to, to speak on this, just this issue. Now, I've talked on addictions and other things like that, but I found myself kind of staring at my computer this week just going, I don't know. I don't know. And I think, I think the other thing when it comes to churches is that we, we kind of shy away from this topic because it's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? Especially, not so much about drugs, but, but really it's more uncomfortable when we talk about alcohol, isn't it? Because there's, there tends to be two different types of camps in this arena. You know, there's, there's some folks, and maybe this is you in here today, that, that you just feel like, as a Christ follower, you know, I just I can't touch alcohol. And I need to tell you, I mean, I stand behind you on that. that that's That's awesome. But there are other people in here who just feel as strongly that, that it's okay. You know, like Ben Franklin, he said this, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. <laughs> wow, people are clapping. Somebody just said amen. You know, all right, all right. So here, here's what this time together today is not. We're not going to have a debate over whether or not we should have wine or beer blah, 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 and all that stuff. When it comes to alcohol, we're just not going to do that. I mean, I think Paul in the Bible, he told Timothy, hey, you should try some wine. It's really good for your body, you know? There are several different passages in the Bible that lean different directions all over the place. We're not going to solve that deal. That's not what this time is about today. What we're talking about is when alcohol or drugs become an addiction, and when they start to control our life, where people are standing at this crossroads and making choices to go down these dark paths that just lead into isolation. That's what we're talking about. So um, I did a little research, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely floored. It's like, I, I know alcohol and drugs are, are a big deal, but I'm, I'm floored by what I found out. Check this out. Uh, the United States Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, good night when you hate to answer the phone for them, they released last year that one in four Americans, one in four, 
Okay, so that's going to be one or two people sitting on your row right now. One in four people were on a recent drinking binge. And, and that's average, so I think that we're fairly average. I don't know, maybe we're above average, and, but, but that's us. One in four of us in here today. It also, re, and this is last year, by the way. Last year, they also said one in eight adults, all right? You and me, one in eight adults have, have, have done some kind of drug in the previous year. That, that hits really close to home. But see, we don't talk about this, right? It's just, oh, don't talk about it. And, 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 and a lot of this is done in, in secret and in, in silence and darkness. This year, seniors in, in 12th grade, 50%, and this kills me because i got kiddos at home, and I can only think by the time they're seniors, there's going to be a high, higher number, I'm sure. But 50% have, have, have used an illicit drug. Are you shocked by that? These are government figures. They don't lie. Um, 73% of seniors have reported just getting hammered and wasted. And of, of those, I'm sorry, I, I said that incorrectly. 73% of seniors say, say they use alcohol, but 46% of that say they get hammered on a regular basis. That's almost half. More than 30% of Americans at some times in their life, sometime in their life, are, have had an alcohol use disorder. Three out of 10 of us. Nearly 100,000 people die every year due to alcohol, drugs, and related situations like that. Alcohol is blamed for more than half, more than half of all the visits to the hospital ER room. Okay, so I, I think that there's an issue here. As we take a look at Proverbs, it, it starts to give us some insight. As, as to this, this struggle, this crossroads where some of us are walking down just in isolation and what that looks like. It's actually found in Proverbs um, 23. But if you, if you look on either side of Proverbs 23, from, from Proverbs 22 to 24, Solomon gives us 30 kind of little morsels of wisdom. There's 30 in there. And, 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 and so alcohol... Alcoholism is dealt with on number 18 out of those 30. Now, as I read the scripture, you know, these, today we're, we're in a modern day where we have all this chemistry and science and, and, and designer drugs and all this stuff that didn't necessarily exist back then. But I think there's a really strong argument to be able to take the same topic and apply it to drugs. I really do. Especially when you read the scripture and you see what it says about alcoholism and, 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 and wine and that stuff, I think it can be applied to our situations today. And so number 18, little pieces of wisdom, number 18 is found in Proverbs 23. Here's the interesting thing. The first 17 are organized a little bit different. When Solomon starts listing them off, he lists, lists off these things, uh, these bits of wisdom, and, and he says, don't do this, or do this, or, or keep away from, or listen up to what I'm about ready to tell you. But see, everything changes when he gets to number 18 in Proverbs 23. He doesn't say that. It changes it up a bit because number 18 has to do with alcoholism, has to do with standing at this crossroads and making these choices to live ensnared in addiction. It's the longest, most articulate passage when it comes to this topic, and uh, it doesn't start like the other ones. It doesn't say, don't do this, or listen up, or do this. It doesn't do that. It starts with six questions. 
And so I want to pose the six questions to you today. And this is what Solomon asks. Proverbs 23, verse 29 through 35. He starts off with two questions out of the six, and he says, Who has anguish? I don't use the word anguish very much, uh, so I had to really kind of figure, figure out what, what really is at the heart of anguish. It's really pain and torment, and not necessarily physical, what, what's, what's being said here in the Hebrew here. That's not really the, the, the meaning. What the, what the real meaning is, is like emotional pain, emotional torment. I, I use the word anxiety, right? Who, who has high anxiety? Who is, who is really stressed out emotionally, this tormented pain? That's the first question he asks. The second question he says is, who has sorrow? In other words, deep, deep regret, deep sadness, torturing, torturing grief. Who, who's experiencing that? And if we were to take a look at just those two questions out of the six, really what he's asking here is, who, who has emotional problems? Who, who's struggling emotionally at the core of who they are? Well, then he goes on to ask two more questions, another set. He says, who, who's always fighting? Who's, who's belligerent? Who's, who's contentious? Who's fighting all the time, bickering? Second question, who, who's always complaining? So the first two questions deal with who's having emotional problems. The second set of questions, he says, who's having social problems? Seriously, who, who's having relational problems in here? Whose lives are just falling apart because these things are happening? Well, then he, he ends it with two more questions. The final two are this. He says, who has unnecessary bruises from, from stumbling, from, from knocking into things, from getting hit, from, from brawls? He says, who, who has bloodshot eyes? So really what he's asking is, who has emotional problems? Who has social problems? And who, seriously, ends up in physical problems too because he can't get the first two right? Because it's just all a mess. Who's dealing with this? Well, he goes on to answer his problems here. Here's the answer. Verse 30. He says, it is the one who spends long hours in the tavern. Now listen, again, I'm not saying if you drink one glass of wine, your life is falling apart. And that's not what this passage is saying here. I'm not saying if you like the taste of hops, you're in for trouble. That's not what I'm saying. Because the, the, Psalm, or the, uh, the Solomon here in Proverbs, he's saying it is the one who spends, how much time? Long hours. See, there's an investment here, extended periods of time going down this road alone, <laughs> by himself, in darkness, in taverns. And, and see what it says there? Trying out new drinks. Now, if you were to take a look at that translation for that Hebrew word, it, what it means is mixed wine. So heavier drinks, verse 31. Don't let the sparkle and the smooth taste of wine deceive you. Looks great. Why, why, why don't let it, let it deceive you? Verse 32, for in the end, in the end, it bites like a poisonous serpent and it stings like a viper. Verse 32 here, really important words. It says, in the end. All throughout Proverbs, this little tiny uh, grouping of words is used. It's in the end, all the time, in the end, in the end, in the end. And it's said after pieces of wisdom. And, and it's saying that, that if you picture your life at a crossroads and you choose this way, if you go down this path, if you go down this road and progress on this train of thought or this series of events, in the end, there's devastation. In the end, it's not going to be pleasant. In the end, 
It's, it's just not an inconvenience. It's pain. It's death. It's poison. It's like the sting of the viper. It's destruction in the end. Well, more problems ensue. Verse 33, he says, you will see hallucinations. You'll start to say crazy things. And by the way, here the, uh, the word halluc- hallucinations, it's kind of disputed as to really what it means because it's one of those Hebrew words that actually has two different meanings. One means hallucinations, which, which literally is strange things. You're going to see strange things, but equally, the same definition is strange women, <laughs> which I tend to think is probably what the author meant <laughs> because it kind of goes, it's par for the course, right? You're going to see strange women you'll start to say strange things, right? And it goes on to say, verse 34, you're going to stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to the swaying mast. In other words, a, great, a pretty great description of someone who's just, just hammered. Verse 35, and you're going to say, oh, they hit me and I didn't feel it. I don't even know it when they beat me up. Why? Because I can't feel it. I've totally lost control. I'm numb. I'm numb to the pain. I'm not even here. I, I've checked out. I don't even know what's happening to me physically. And here's how this proverb ends. Isn't it interesting? Where's the piece of wisdom in here that says, don't do this? It's kind of implied, isn't it? Here's how this proverb ends, number 18 of a series of 30. It says this, when I wake up, when will I wake up so I can have another drink? When can I just dull the pain again? When, when When can I hide again? When can I run again? I'm out of control. When can I bring some sort of numbness to what I'm feeling? Listen, I, I think one of the things I really struggled with on this message today is I've not been an alcoholic. I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that. So I was talking to Dave. I'm like, man, I, I don't really know how to relate with this deal. And, and I've not been an illicit drug user. I mean, I, I just I've not struggled with that. And that's why I've been staring at my computer, just going, God, what what do you want to say? Um, And then I met John. And uh, come up here, John. I met John uh, at the Luau during the summertime. met him and his wife, Melissa. And uh, that was back in the summer. And then then John joined uh, our small group. And we've been meeting on Thursday nights. Um. A couple weeks ago, was it three weeks ago, John? Yeah. John shared his story uh, to our whole entire small group about his life. And uh, it was a pretty amazing story of the journey he's been through. And, and as, as John was speaking, uh, again, the, the, the next week, as John was speaking, I, I felt like I heard God say, I didn't feel, I heard God say in my head, John's your guy. Ask John to share his story on Sunday morning. And I pushed back, and I'm like, nah, that's, no, I'm not going to do that. I really don't actually know John super well. So God, thanks for the tip. Appreciate that. Uh, but I'm going to try to figure something else out because, I mean, we don't really know each other super well. We've been talking quite a bit lately. And uh, so our, our, our small group got over, and John said, hey, can I talk to you privately? I'm like, yeah. So we went down, and we sat on the couch together, and kind of summarizing what John told me, he said, uh, Hey, I just feel like I need to tell you, like God told me to tell you, i got to share my story. And uh, so I don't know if you're interested in that. And I'm like, could, could I get a sign maybe, God? Um, 
could you be more clear on this deal? Yeah, I'm not sure that this is what he wants. And, and literally, I, we, I think we both experienced chills over how God has, has brought this up. And uh, today, John, you're going to share with us something that you actually have not shared publicly before. Few people know, but um, publicly, you've, you've not shared this. So tell us. Yeah, I, I haven't, uh, haven't ever talked about this in a public forum, but it's uh, something I truly feel called to do. And I guess the way that I look at it is if I can share my story um, with someone and, and that can help somebody here because I know there's people out there that are dealing with this themselves and I can guarantee you just about every single person in this room, if you're not struggling with it yourself, you know uh, somebody who is. So if I can help even just one person step out of the darkness and back into the light and either to come to God for the first time or to come back to God, it'll all be worth it. So you're, uh, as we talked and just, I think last Sunday you just shared for like an hour about what was going on or so. And uh, you really pointed out that, that this, this crossroads really started kind of in eighth grade with some choices you made and what was going on in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for me, um, alcohol goes long, long ways back to my life. Um, I had my first drink in eighth, in eighth grade. Um, drank a little bit in high school, but I was real athletic and just kind of scared about putting things in my body that would, would interfere with that. But by the time I went to college, all bets were off. Um, and uh, I drank a lot <laughs> in college. But looking back at it, Really, the reason why I did that, and I didn't understand it then, is it was really based on my own insecurities. Um, socially, I felt pretty awkward, and I felt that you know when I when I drank, I was funnier. People wanted to be around me more. Felt more comfortable being in social situations. And quite frankly, I'm 42 years old, and up till eight months ago, when I had my last drink, um, I've used alcohol my entire life as a, as a social crutch. But unfortunately, it didn't stop there for me. Um, I moved to uh, Salt Lake City about seven and a half years ago. And immediately prior to that, I had been living just south of Pittsburgh, and um, Three years before that, I'd got my dream job with my company that I'd, I've been with now for 20 years. And uh, wound up having to, to step down from that job. And quite frankly, it, it, it crushed me. And at the same time, um, I lost an engagement. And uh, I was pretty low. I didn't have a lot of self-worth at that point. And I moved here to Salt Lake City, and I really only knew one person. And quite frankly, I didn't really feel like I, I fit, fit in here at first. And um, I struggled to meet people. And it was funny because some of the first people that I met were also transplants. And they were into going out and going to the clubs and drinking and having a good time. And it uh, wasn't too long when one of those people, when we were out, offered me a club drug. Never done it before. I wasn't feeling too good about myself. I said, sure, what the heck, what do I have to lose? 
And uh, at first, kind of like Dave was talking about, seemed kind of fun. You know, it was a release, it was an escape. Um, but the more uh, the time went on, started using, you know, more and more, more frequently. And then uh, about four years ago, um, my dad, who'd been healthy all of his life, um, had two separate rounds of pulmonary emboli. And I had to watch my dad, who I loved and cherished, slowly die over a two-year period. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And uh, it pushed me further and further towards drugs and alcohol to escape my pain. And that's, I think, the one thing I think is really important for, for people to realize is that for people that, that are addicted, I mean, we're talking about drugs and alcohol today, but you can substitute anything you want, sex, gambling, eating disorders, uh, pornography, whatever it may be. Addicts use what they use to escape their pain, to not have to feel, to change the way that they feel, even if it's temporary. Um, but the reality is, is that I can tell you from personal experience, it just pushes you, you know, deeper and deeper into, uh, into despair. So it started with, uh, with alcohol all the way through um, high school and then into college and then here getting into club drugs and, and just struggling with your dad and just like the perfect storm coming together. Yeah. And, uh, but it didn't stop there. No, it didn't, it didn't stop there. It, as, I, as I used more and more, um, I became physically addicted where it wasn't a choice anymore. It was something that I was powerless over and that was out, out of my control. And quite frankly, it, it led me to a lot of really evil, awful things. Um, I hurt a lot of people along the way. Um, I became a habitual liar. I don't even think I knew what the truth was anymore. Um, I. Uh, actually became involved um, in pornography with, uh, with part of this. And um, the worst, uh, worst part of it was I met the woman of my dreams who I love very much. And I hid this from her. And I hid it from everybody. I mean, Andy challenged us, uh, or Dave, excuse me, challenged us a couple of weeks ago when he asked us, you know, why are we hiding? I had a hidden life that I didn't want anybody to find out about or to know about. And I even hid it from my wife all throughout our engagement. Um, I married her without letting her know what was really going on with me. And everything finally came to a head when last March um, we had concert tickets for our Eric Clapton concert. And after that, she was scheduled to be on a plane out to Boston with some of her girlfriends for first girl trip since we'd been married and um, I started using that afternoon kind of you know getting ready for the concert and your your drug of choice was cocaine yeah and uh, I got going and I couldn't stop and I didn't come home that night and I put my wife and 
both of our families and many of our friends that night through the worst possible personal hell you could ever imagine because they had to go through the process of thinking that I was dead. Thank God I wasn't physically dead, but I was spiritually dead. So everything comes crashing down. Um, you hit rock bottom. You're in a really, really successful job. You're making great money. Um, white collar job. Um, great career. Great marriage. And this is it. So what do you do? Where's God take you? Well, luckily enough for me, um, three days later, I went to, uh, turned out to be a, a three-month rehab program. And there's a reason why I was there. Um, and it's a program that, that teaches spirituality, not religion, but spirituality and that relationship with God is the foundation of recovery. Hmm. And slowly through that, um, not only for myself, but also for my wife. I mean, it's amazing how, how God works, how we can use a situation with one person to affect so many other people um, in, in their lives. But you know, slowly I, I began to experience forgiveness from God, experience from other people, but most importantly, I was finally able to forgive myself and all the guilt and all the shame that I held inside. And for the first time in my life, I really finally started to develop a true relationship with God. And I realized that, quite frankly, for much of my life, I'd been running from God. Mm. I'd been scared of God. Um, I saw God as someone who was going to judge me at the end of my life and determine whether I went, went to heaven or hell. And through this entire process, you know, I came to realize that, you know, not only did God create me and every single person here in this room, but that he loves me and he wants to be my best friend and that he has incredible plans for my life if I'm willing to turn my will over to his perfect will. And that God thinks enough of me, not only to have created me, but to want to spend, to have me want to spend eternity with him. I mean, that just that blows my mind when I think about it. And it brought, it brought me, but also my wife, back to God, who, quite frankly, she, she'd walked away from her relationship with, uh, with God about 11 years earlier. So it's just been, um, even though it was the hardest, most difficult thing I've ever had to do in my life, sitting here on the other end of it, I see now why it happened and how God used this situation to bring me back to him because God wanted me. So, so two thoughts as we uh, finish up here. Um, one, what do, you, what do you really feel like God, God told you specifically during that time? And then two, what would you say to somebody who's, who's sitting out here in your shoes, um, quietly struggling, maybe not so quietly, but, but way down the road, just surviving. I think um, during that time, you know, God spoke to me and made me realize that if I had kept living the life that I'd been living, um, it was leading nowhere. I mean, all the things that I talked about earlier, I mean, it, it's amazing um, that first of all, I never killed myself. 
for the amount of drugs that I did at times. It's amazing I didn't overdose. Um, I can tell you I've done permanent physical damage to my body. Um, I already talked about the spiritual damage that, that I did to myself. Um, but it took God pulling me out of that life to get me to sit back and take a hard look at myself and realize that I didn't like what I saw. And I had to do that with no crutches and nowhere to run. And I had to, uh, to face that, and I had a choice. Again, I was at, a, at another crossroads that I could go back to the way that, that I was living, or I could take a completely different path and towards, towards God and towards life. So to answer your question, the, I guess the thing that, that I would tell everyone, and, and this is something I'll, that I'll, I'll read to you because I think Pastor Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life you know, really, really says it better than, than I could ever possibly say it. When he talks about guilt, and the thing is with, with most addicts, guilt and shame are toxic. It's the reason why a lot of people start to use, use drugs, and it's the reason why a lot of people continue to, to use drugs because they get into this and they feel so terrible about themselves, they just want to escape again and get to that next high. But Rick Warren says, many people are driven by guilt and they spend their entire lives running from regrets and hiding their shame. Guilt-driven people are manipulated by memories. They allow their past to control their future. They often unconsciously punish themselves to sabotage their own success. When Cain sinned, his guilt disconnected him from God's presence and God said, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. That describes most people today wandering through life without a purpose. And that was definitely me. But here's the key. It says, we are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. I, I refuse to be defined by what I've done in the past. God's purpose is not limited by your past. He turned a murderer named Moses into a leader and a coward named Gideon into a courageous hero. And he can do amazing things with the rest of your life, too. God specializes in giving people a fresh start. And I love how Dave said a couple of weeks ago, and I uh, said, thank God, God is the God of U-turns. <laughs> but he finishes by saying, the Bible says, what happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven, what relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared, cleared their record. He says, the greatest expression of God's love uh, for us is the sacrifice of his son for you. God proves his love to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to know how much you matter to God, look at Christ with his arms outstretched on the cross saying, I love you this much. I'd rather die than to live without you. And, you know, I think what Jesus said in, in John 10.10, 10, he said, um, I came that they may have life and to have it to the full. And St. Arrhenius said that the glory of God is man fully alive. And I can tell you, as I sit here today, 
I feel more alive than I have in my entire life. And I have a sense of peace and calm and love in me that I've never experienced before and that no drug I could ever put into my body could ever give me. I thought at the time that it could give me that, mm. but, it, but it couldn't. Mm. You've been clean for? Eight months. Eight months. That's awesome. So this week when uh, John and I were talking, I was just really trying to encourage him. And uh, this is huge. I mean, this is huge what you've shared. and um, Amazing. Thank you so much. I was encouraging him this week. I said, you know what? Um, sometimes when you're sharing your story, it can, you know, be a little unnerving and scary and blah, 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 blah. And I don't remember exactly what she said to me, but it was something along the lines of, I'm not scared. I'm a warrior of God. I felt like leaving the room. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm telling you what, you are a warrior of God. Would you join me in pray? Jesus, thank you so much for John. Thank you for his story. Man, who would have thought? a great story would come out of this, that redemption would come. You knew. God, thank you for, for lifting his head, for bringing him to his feet, for giving him victory. And again, not that he somehow got control, but you in him, giving him life to the full. God, continue to uh, strengthen him. Continue to give him victory after victory so that you may be glorified through the life of John Gilly. Thank you, Jesus, for this sweet, sweet moment in your name. Amen. John, thank you. Yeah. One of the things that John was talking about this week as he and I were discussing is just this whole, this whole deal of freedom. And I think that's really what this crossroads comes down to is freedom, man. Is, is, is Jesus saying... You do not have to be captured by this anymore. In fact, he says it in uh, Luke chapter 4. Jesus was quoting out of the Old Testament. He was saying it to all the people, and he was referring to himself. He says, I have come. I've come to proclaim for the Father that the captives will be released. You don't have to be in prison anymore. Jesus says, I'm going to release the captives. I'm going to uh, help the blind to see and the downtrodden to be freed from their oppressors. That's life. In fact, Jesus said, later on in John, he says, I am. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the way. Come to me and you come to the Father. I'm telling you, if you are struggling with this today, secretly, if you just feel like you're at the end of your rope, I had a guy come up after the first service just saying, I, I, I got nowhere to turn. I, I, I don't know what to do next, seriously. I've been clean, but it's not going to last long. If you are there, if you're coming to the end of your rope, you are in the right place today. I'm, I'm serious. There's a couple things I want to encourage you to do. First is, and, and this is a small step, maybe this might be the right first step for you, is to take that little tear-off card that you've got on your program and just simply allow us to pray for you. Just fill it out. Pray for me. I am struggling right now. You don't have to sign your name to it. And there are some amazing folks here that would just lift you up in prayer this week. I'm telling you, the power of prayer is unbelievable. Jesus said he will set you free. And we tap into that power through prayer. 
The second deal is this, is maybe you need to come to a place right now today where you're saying, I've been trying it all on my own. See, the, the whole title of this morning is Losing Control or Self-Control. But see, it's not the self-control of me lifting myself up, by pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, because I don't have that in me. I'm not, I'm not that good. You're not that good. It's self-control when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, when Jesus Christ comes inside of you. And today, that might be a step that you need to take. Just say, I give up. Seriously, I surrender. I give up. And that's my hope for you in this whole entire year, this next year, is that you would come to a place here at K2 where you would say, I, I believe. And you say yes to Jesus. Here's the third thing I want to make you aware of, and it's going to come through uh, my friend Terry Duncan. Terry and I have known each other for a couple years, and amazing woman. She's got an amazing story to tell. I wish she could tell the whole entire thing this morning. You can't, but um, <laughs> you, need to, you need to look this, this gal up and just get the story from her. But just, just quickly, what is the, the third way that, that folks, if we're in here, struggling? Well, we have a program uh, that we do here, a, a small group at K2 called Celebrate Recovery. And um, uh, we meet every Thursday night from 7 to 9 p.m. And uh, it basically, if, if you're struggling with any of the things that uh, John mentioned or anything that Andy has mentioned, um, and you'd like to just find a place where you can just come and be safe, and talk about your struggles, um, this is the place to do it. You, you said such a sweet line earlier this week. You said, I, I, I was a recovering yeah. alcoholic. My crossroads brought me to a place uh, seven and a half years ago where I almost killed a man. And um, I realized at that time that I needed to change, that I was either going to go down a path that was going to destroy me and my family, or I needed to make a change. And I began my journey of recovery. A year and a half ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Mm. And at that time, what I, what I realized at that time, what, be, what began to change in me was that I had changed from a recovering alcoholic to a recovered alcoholic mm. with his help. I no longer had to work at it. He did all the work, and all I had to do was ask him to walk with me every day. Mm. So. Thank you, Terry. Thanks. Track this lady down. She's got an amazing story. <clears throat> Celebrate Recovery is happening here every week. And uh, whatever the addiction is, an amazing place. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's freedom. It's freedom through Jesus. Out in the lobby today, there's a table set up where you can find out more about Celebrate Recovery. Today might be your day that you need to head out there and have a conversation. There's a bunch of great folks back there that would like to talk with you. And uh, after the service, we'll be up here too. We'd love to pray with you. Right now, would you pray with me? Let's, let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the sweet day of stories that just seem destructive and, and that just seem like they're going to lead to death, and yet you take these stories around. You bring us out of our darkness, out of our hiding, our shame, our guilt, and you give us life. You redeem us. Thank you, God, for, for John. Thank you for intimately loving him so much and getting all of his life for Terry and for so many other people that, that have been struggling down these roads. Thanks for working. And God, I, I just pray for the folks that are sitting in here today that are quietly dying on the inside due to substance abuse. God, I pray for, for courage. I pray for hope. I pray for victory. I pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts.
so that we would come to a place where we say yes to you. God, thank you for the freedom that you bring, the sweet life, even as John talked about, this life to the full, (laughs) beyond our wildest imagination. That's what you came for. That's what you came to set us free to. That amazing grace. Thank you, God. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to go into a, a time of gratitude now, just thanking God, just focusing on his face, spending time with him, worshiping him. And to start this time, we're, we're going to take an offering. Here, here's the deal. Beth and I were even just talking about it a couple days ago, is that I, I feel like God has just really given us a lot. I feel like he's lavished good stuff on, on me and my family, and I'm just, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for what he's done. And uh, today, if you're, if you're feeling like that, that let that drive your heart to say, God, you've given me so much. I just, I want to give back to you. Use that as an act of worship. But here's the deal. If you are visiting with us and, and uh, you, do, you, you can let that bag pass. This is really for someone who's just feeling compelled to worship God through, through your tithe today. And so join us as we worship the Lord.